Well, I have an announcement to make for you that I hope will excite you a bit, and that is that Pastor Don Wollabaugh and I have done a third Bible study, a verse-by-verse Bible study. This one's called Finding Grace in the Book of James. Now, Pastor Don is such an incredible Bible teacher, and I think you're going to get a taste of that today. I'm going to play a portion of that first video, uh, the audio from that video for you today as part of this podcast as you'll listen to just a couple of friends talking through the scriptures verse by verse. And the book of James has been largely seen as eh, pretty judgmental in a sense. It's almost works-based judgment, but it's not actually the way it works. James is the brother of Jesus, and he has a lot to say about how to put this faith in Christ into practical action. What does faith look like? What does the Christian life look like? What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? So dive in with us. The book of James. Here we are. We're back. <laughs> Sounds good. After doing Hebrews and Ephesians, we uh, decided to dive into the book of James. And actually, you're the one that brought this one up. I did, actually. I love the book of James. It's like full of nuggets. I mean, tons of nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty awesome. So what was the thing about James that really has really captured you? I think in the book of James, there's like... If I can remember it right, I think there's 108 verses mm-hmm. and 54 direct commands. So James is really talking about the practical application of our faith. Yeah. And I think that matters. I think it's the practical. Uh, again, he talks about faith without works is dead. We're going to talk about all those kind of things. But I think when he really talks about it, it's the practical application. If you say you're a believer, it ought to show in your life. So I think a lot of people gravitate away from the book of James when they kind of come into a revelation of the new covenant. And the last two things we've done have been so Christic covenant, new covenant centered, right. going away from works and completely into salvation by grace. But that doesn't mean that works don't exist. Right. So when we look at James, it's not like we're leaving grace behind. Why do you think so many people though seem to seem to kind of shy away from James? Well, and again, it's back to what you were saying. Uh, because I think for a lot of us, I'm, I'm 63 years old, but when I got saved, it was really, there was a works mentality there. Mm-hmm. Then when we began to understand it's not about your works, it's about his work. I've, I've stepped into his accomplished, finished work. Yeah. And so, uh, again, back to what you're saying is they look at this and they see it as a works thing, but man, the book of James is all about grace. I mean, there's grace all through it. That's right. And so in the midst of all that, what he's saying is, listen, if that grace is on your life, you don't have to do the works. The works would be automatic. It's going to actually follow. Your works are going to follow that. I mean, once your life's changed, it's changed. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you can see the evidence of a changed life. And that's what James is going to hammer the yeah. whole way through for five chapters. It's pretty awesome. So James kind of to set the book up. James is the brother or half brother of Jesus Christ, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. there's two characters I understand that you know from my study that there's yeah. two James in in the disciples the 12 right neither one of those though is it's not this guy not this guy right, right. so right. James really common name uh, common name and it would appear from what we can understand historically even through Josephus and some other writings that we find James would have been a, a half brother of Jesus same mom different dad if you want to go that direction <laughs> but uh, but in that uh, it appears that He's not a believer until post-resurrection. Now, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. That yeah. that part really, really grips me. Because uh, you would think growing up with 
you know, with the Son of God. But yeah. then but I really started to put myself into the position of what it would be like to be James. Yeah. You know, and, you know, here's everybody knows Jesus, you yeah. know, your older brother yeah. happens to be perfect incarnate son of god right <laughs> yeah you know yeah. oh here here's my brother jesus he he happens to be the son of god i'm i'm just james yeah you know so i mean growing up in that shadow yeah. i think might have been but you do see places where like mary and and jesus siblings yeah stage even an intervention where they they come yeah. at him without any sense of honor at all yeah and and i think that's where it kind of lends itself to the idea that they weren't necessarily believers as such right. now mary has to be a believer obviously, obviously you know what i mean and i'm sure she told her brothers but there's probably that whole sibling rivalry i mean i kind of right. played this out in my own head yeah but i think you know, the sibling rivalry and then of course they're acting up and mary's like can't you be more like your brother yeah because you know? <laughs> we've all faced that you know what i mean so 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 there might even be some of that posture there right. but in right. this place what we find is it's after the resurrection not only does James become a believer, but he becomes a leader and eventually a martyr. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the message behind that for so many people that might even be watching right now, it's not whether or not you make a good start in life. It's whether or not you make a good finish. Yeah. Man, make sure you finish well. <laughs> doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. As long as you get this thing and run with it, man. I know there, there's things in my own personal life that, I mean, I went from preaching a, an escapist, I had an escapist mentality. I, I preached a lot about, hey, let's, you know, get your name in the book, you know, pray this prayer, get your name in the book, the bus is coming, let's get out of here. You know what I mean? To the idea that when the, when the revelation of the kingdom really hit me, uh, it was a mixed emotion, Bill. There was this idea of, man, I'm really excited that I have this. This is pretty awesome. But why did it take me so long to see this? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So rather than beat myself up over the idea that I spent 20 years preaching more of an escapist message, uh, I'm celebrating the idea that, hey, I got it now and I can help as many people as I can. Right. And I think that's an important thing. So even as I look at James, James, when he does step into the role, doesn't just step into a role. He steps into the major role, maybe in the New Testament church. Yeah, you, and I think that's huge. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah. true. You bring up a huge, a huge point because a lot of people think that they can't be qualified to preach the gospel until they have all the theology perfect. But you know, I, I've been pastoring, preaching for thirty years, and and my preaching chronicles and documents my growth. You know, here I'm learning something new. I'm going to serve that up. Now I'm yeah. learning something new. And, and, but you know, just because we teach and preach doesn't mean we figured everything out. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, we're still learning. <laughs> <laughs> I know I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh, one of the things about James that seems to be evident is that he has a tremendous amount of respect after the resurrection among the rest of the disciples. When Peter gets let out of prison yeah. uh, by the angel and he appears to the, the uh, Bible study, the prayer meeting that's gathered there praying for his release, and right. they don't believe that it's actually happened. Mm -hmm. um, when, when it's all said and done, Peter wants to make sure that James knows. Yeah, go tell James and the apostles. Yeah. Yeah. And at yeah. the Jerusalem Council, yeah. there's an incredible moment where uh, there's a there's a dispute among what should we teach these people who have just come out of the law, out of the old covenant system. Right. You know, how much in in terms of rules should we put on these people? And James is the one that steps up and seems to bring peace and order and clarity to the whole thing. So when you just when you think that James is a big old legalist from you know reading his his uh, epistle here, you go to the sermon at the Jerusalem Council. And in that message, he puts the most minimum requirements on Gentiles who've come to believe in Jesus. So you begin to realize James relies on grace, maybe like just like Paul does, like Peter does. 
And, and yet, it's to a very unique audience that James is about to mm-hmm. address yeah. his epistles. So, you want to dive into it? Let's do it. Go ahead. All right. I'm going to read from the New King James for the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. And, and I think it's even interesting as we, we, we're in verse one, but you can't even go any further. Right. And you realize he doesn't claim his authority as the brother of Jesus. <laughs> he actually calls himself a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I'm a bondservant to my older brother, if, yeah. if we can say it that it way. Took him a, it know. took him a lifetime to come out of that place where he's like, I, I'm going I'm to go ahead and appeal to the fact that we were family. Yeah. I grew up with this guy, or I know him better than anybody else. Yeah, you right, know? right. Um, he doesn't mention any of that. Yeah. He puts himself in the same place that all of us can. Yeah. So there's a real identification with his audience here. It's not, I'm going to appeal to you as the brother, and so you got to listen to everything I say. No, he's, I'm, I'm appealing to you from the exact same place as you are. That's beautiful. And, and I would say when James says this about himself, I, I always have to ask the question, is this, is this how I refer to myself? You know, I know I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God uh, because of the spirit of adoption. But a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the lordship of Jesus Christ has brought me into a place of surrendered obedience to the voice that, that ultimately uh, leads and guides uh, when you think bond servant, what, do you, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's exactly it. Like, uh, there's going to be certain versions that are going to use the word slave. A bond servant would have been a slave. Yeah. What's that mean? That means somebody else owns me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's coming under divine ownership. I've given my life to Christ. This is that whole idea where I say it's not about praying a prayer and asking Jesus into your heart. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. But what you are going to find is give your life to Jesus. Right. You know what I mean? If any man would come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Why? Because you no longer own yourself. You're giving yourself to God. Yeah. So that's exactly what he's using the phrase there too. Now, I don't even have a life. I gave it away. I gave it to Jesus. Right. You know what I mean? I'm a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's amazing. So he's writing here to a specific audience, and that's something that we need to understand too, to the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. So if they're the 12 tribes, he's obviously got a Jewish audience that he's now referencing in the book of, in the book of James. He's writing to a Jude- Jewish audience of, of Jews who have been dispersed into other areas. Okay, They're not all located inside, inside Jerusalem or even, this is outside of Palestine. Okay, So he's actually making reference to, to these folks. Okay. And I think it's the, this part here where he says to the 12 tribes that are dispersed abroad is yeah. really, really key because he's not writing to the church yeah. specifically. He's writing in, in, a, in a way that mirrors what Jesus said when he taught us how to pray, when he said, Our Father who art in heaven. In other words, inclusive of others, bring them into that place of being family. So no matter where a person was, what tribe they were of, out of the house of Israel, if they came to faith in Christ, they could see themselves right here in the first verse. Yeah. Okay, a bondservant, that's me, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, that's me. So that specific audience, and he's not writing here to Gentiles, you see in the, in the, uh, uh, the address to the Jerusalem Council, how he treats Gentiles. There's a tremendous amount of grace. It's almost like they don't have the encumbrance of coming out of an old covenant system and having to shift to a new covenant system. So good. They're coming out straight out of darkness to light. Yeah. They have no relationship with God into a full relationship with God. 
these people are coming out of a relationship under law into a relationship under the grace and mercy of the cross. So when he's writing, it's important to understand that he's writing specifically to a Jewish mindset that's coming out of an old covenant system. That's one of the reasons why I was excited when you brought this book up. And that is not to hammer our audience with, okay, here's rule uh, one, two, three, four, and how to live your life as a Christian and be pleasing to God. Now, this is, this is you and I realizing so much of our mindset is rooted in, in old covenant legalism thinking that when we come out of it, sometimes we just don't know how to act. Yeah. And so this is a manual for coming out of an old covenant legalism mindset, and you may have been there, into a new covenant revelation of freedom. How do we use, how do we walk in that freedom that God has given us in, in the cross? That's why James is going to be so important to and, us. And he begins to lay it out very early, even in the first chapter. So it's pretty awesome. We, we look a little deeper into that because you just talked about it. he's bringing everybody into a level playing field. Mm-hmm. And that's the next two words, my brethren. Yeah, You know what I mean? He calls them brethren. Those are family terms. I mean, and we have to understand it. When we look at scripture, all the family terms are amazing. You know, yeah. our father, yeah. uh, you know, to, mm-hmm. and, I, and I see that. So he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. He's making friends right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, count it all joy when you're in the fire. Okay. <laughs> and, and I think that's awesome uh, because, again, what, what's happening? It's a paradigm shift. It's a change in the way you think. Right. He's teaching us to think differently. If I'm going through this fire, watch what he says. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces patience. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is this, is that that when you're in those trials, when you're in those testing times, testing doesn't, trials don't test your character. They test your faith. Mm. Unpack that a little bit. I like that. That's really... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. So test, when you're in a trial, it's not it's not testing your character. It's actually putting your character on display. Your character has already been forged in the prayer closet. And th- those trials are going to put your, your character on display. Mm-hmm. It's not testing your character. It's actually testing your faith. faith. Because when I'm in a trial, i got to determine, again, I'm, I'm a Romans 8.28 guy. It's one of my favorite scriptures. But look, I know this. And I love the idea that Paul in Romans there actually says, and we know. that The first parts of verse 28, don't ever miss that. And we know. Yeah, not the, we think. Yeah, right, right, or we hope, right? <laughs> we know that all things are working together for good to those that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. So because I know that, even when I'm going through a trial and it seems like it's getting really bumpy out there, I can get excited thinking, wow, something good's coming out of this. You know what I mean? God is producing righteousness in me in that moment. There's something that's happening there. So he's saying, count it all joy when you go into the fire, right? When when you fall into various trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces Produces patience, right? So let's stop. How many of you have heard this phrase? Oh, don't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience. Trials bring patience. Don't pray. Because if you pray for patience, it's going to bring trials. Well, if we read 1 Corinthians 13, what's the first thing about love? Love is patient. 
So when we tell people don't pray for patience, we're actually saying don't pray for love. Okay, and that's yeah. the dumbest thing in the world. We would never say that. So in that place, when we're walking through trials, my the world that I live in, what I think from all this is, anytime that I'm in the fire, and I used to pray this way, I used to pray, Lord, get me out of the fire. Get me out of the fire. I don't even want to be in this fire. Get me out of this fire. Now, when I'm going through the fire, I'm like, Lord, teach me what I have to learn while I'm in this fire. Because if I can learn from the fire that I'm in today, I'll never have to revisit it. Wow. There's a lesson wow. in every fire. Wow. Yeah. So if I can get through the fire, but I, I, I use these phrases like, man, if I'm coming through this fire, I'm bringing something out with me. I'm going to come out better, sharper, quicker, smarter, wiser, whatever it takes. I, I want to, this fire has to produce something good. You and, don't get a testimony without a test, right? Exactly. Exactly. But trials don't test your character. They actually test, test your, your faith. faith. That's really, what an important point. It's a nugget. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, what would you consider to be trials? Because that's such a broad term. Sure. I think a trial can be anything that's uncomfortable. I think there's places where we're going to walk through trials. We can walk through trials financially. We can walk through trials, relationship trials, a lot of relationship trials out there. You know what I mean? Different things like that. And and and, and I'll say this, the, the trial that you work, that you're walking through is squeezing you. Mm -hmm. You only find out what's inside of you when you get squeezed. Mm -hmm. When you're squeezed, whatever's yeah. inside of you is coming out. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, so you might have a trial on the highway today, but yeah. that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but 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 I think when you're when you're walking through a trial, okay, here's a trial. You got accused wrongfully. Mm -hmm. How you respond to those accusations will matter. Yeah. And sometimes I think uh, even even different places, and I guess. Uh, you can have all kinds of different trials, trials that can be uh, financial trials, how you respond to that. Because the truth is you either believe that God's your supplier or he's not. Yeah. You, uh, again, uh, I talked about like being accusations, false accusations. Either God's your attorney or he's not. If you want to be your own attorney, you're on your own. But if you're going to let God fight your battles, then actually let God fight your battles. There's different trials that you're going to face in your life over different circumstances. Trials, uh, again, you might have an old church hurt, you know what I mean? And yet that's a trial. There's trials there. How you respond to that is going to make all the difference in the world. So he's saying these are the things that are going to, that are going to work patience in us. The, the testing of your faith is working patience, right? And he takes it further and he says, let patience have its perfect work that you might be entire, right? And I, I think that's huge. You might be perfect. I think complete. the King James is entire. Yeah, perfect and complete, lacking nothing, right? Yeah. What can I learn? How does this? How is this working something in me that's maturing me? The word there literally, uh, perfect is maturing. You're growing. You should, every trial shouldn't be a setback. It should actually be a setup to take you deeper in God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's a few things that come to my mind when I think of trials done, yeah. and that is, any difficulty, anytime, you know, we're squeezed. Sure. But when he says, count it all joy, we can start to think, well, wait a minute, then if trials are actually going to work something good out in me, then we, we come to a couple of assumptions. First assumption a lot of people think is that it comes from God. Yeah. Okay. Uh, God is not the author of your sickness. He's not the author of confusion. He's not the author of calamity and disease. It's not what God does. But it can redeem every moment of circumstantial difficulty that can bring us into a place where we're feeling squeezed. So just because he can redeem a thing doesn't necessarily mean he authored it. That's right. And James doesn't say anything here about that God brought this trial into your life. So our response of counting it all joy doesn't 
doesn't just mean, well, God's doing this, right? right. It, it means that the posture of our heart in standing in the joy of the Lord that is our strength doesn't change just because the devil is bringing an attack into your life or the devil is bringing trial into your life or circumstances around you are bringing a trial into your life. Just because sometimes we think, well, if it's from God, I'll, I'll count it all joy. If it's not from God, then, then I have a right to get angry and bitter and upset about it, sure. right? Because it's unfair. And, and yet, James isn't differentiating between what's coming from God or what's not coming from God. He's saying, count it all joy in every trial that you face. I, I think the second thing that people think is that means I'm going to welcome trials. I'm going to look for suffering. I'm like, that is foolishness. You know? The Bible says, in everything give thanks, not for everything give thanks. So just because something comes into my life that's, that, you know, there's a tragedy, let's say, that comes into my life, sure. uh, I'm not obligated to give, give thanks for that tragedy, but I can give thanks in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the test, in the middle of the tragedy. And so my posture, my heart posture on how I react or respond to these things is not dependent on who's bringing it into my life or who's responsible for it. Right. And it's not... It's not, uh, I'm not, I'm not embracing and welcoming it as if this is my doing. Because otherwise, then you, then you get these people that have gone through life believing that, well, uh, I'm just going to look for suffering because that's what produces character. And I love what you said, that, that this is something that is actually testing our faith. I'd never, I never made that differentiation because whenever we think of a test, yeah. we always think of a test as you know, like faith character must be something together. But yeah. they're very, very different. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So as, as we're looking through that, he says, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience, that patience have its perfect work, that you can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, right? And then he takes it deeper, right? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it'll be given to him. So what did he say? He said that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, but if you're lacking wisdom, ask God. Yeah, And I, 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 he ties that all together so incredible because even when you're going through the challenging places, even when you're going through those testing places, even when you're going through those fiery furnace trials, if you would, what's he saying? Ask God for wisdom on how to navigate what's in front of you. That's so good. Over and over, that's what he's trying to bring us to. Is James is saying in your Christian walk, there's a grace on your life that you can navigate any trial or any circumstance, any difficulty, and God has the answers, but he'll only reveal them if you ask ask him that's why later on he's going to tell us you have not because you ask not because why we have to ask but if we ask him he is anxiously waiting for us to implore heaven so that heaven can make a deposit on earth and we can actually impact the community around us <laughs> that'll preach i got you. wow that's uh that's worth meditating on all day right there <laughs> when i see this phrase uh perfect and complete lacking in nothing I think of Colossians 2, 9 and 10, where it says, In Christ, the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right. dwelt, abided, lived in that body. Yeah, bodily. And then it says in verse 10, Colossians 2, 10, And in him you have been made complete. And the, the time or the, the tenses there are so important because it's not in him you are becoming complete. You have been made complete. So completeness, just like righteousness, is a gift of grace that comes from Christ alone, not from 
our behavior to become. Uh, what we're doing, in a sense, in living this Christian life surrendered to the voice of the Lord is step by step, we are discovering who God already knows us to be. Come on. We are stepping into mm-hmm. who we, from heaven's perspective, already are. So again, it's like much like, you know, we've been given the medal before we've even run the race. Now we run the race to discover that we actually have the strength to do what God knows he's placed within us to do. So when it says here, endurance have its perfect results, so it may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Understand that it is not your ability to endure trials with joy that makes you perfect. You're perfect because of Christ. But what happens here is as we learn to walk through trials with the joy of the Lord that's our strength, we begin to discover what God has already given us that's the it's kind of a little backwards in a sense because you can start to think in as we go through james and any place in the scripture where it admonishes or encourages us to do something that the reason i do this is to become no the reason you do this is because you are the reason you do this is because you already have not to get but because you already have and so once and this i'm just living my life with this as an eternal experiment and that is to reveal to people, and every time I preach this, I'm preaching to myself, mm-hmm. to reveal to people what you already have in Christ, and then let what we've already been given become the motivator for a life of surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. Sometimes it seems as a minister more effective to preach to you that there's a carrot on a stick called the perfection and righteousness and grace of God that's dangling just in front of you. And if you do A, B, and C, you will get that. And that often seems to be, it seems to be the more effective tool of communication because what it does is it puts it on you and if you can do the work to get something then you can take credit for it once you get it what that produces is pride and pride actually wars against our identity in christ and so that's why that's why i like turn it backwards and say look you've already got it so stop trying to get it you've already got it so now live in such a way as though you already have it. Now it purifies your motive. It purifies your action. Now every act of service I do in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord is not to, to, to get anything or to acquire anything right. or to become anything. It's because I'm living from a place of already having obtained. Now, now what does that do? That fills my heart with gratitude. I think gratitude is the, is the soil from which a fruitful life truly springs. Because now, you know... It, I'm living in the, as long as I can stay in gratitude, I'm living in the will of God. Come on. In everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So So now here I am, (laughs) I'm going to count it all joy when I face a trial, not, not trying to get, you know, get righteousness or to please God. God's already pleased with us. He's, he's already given us his righteousness. We're not obtaining anything except a greater clarity in the perfection given to us by grace in the cross. And the more that I see that, boy, it sure does feel like I've, 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 I've arrived just a little bit more. Every trial, and we're talking about trials here, mm-hmm. but every trial, I should come out of it with a greater revelation of who he is. Yeah. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing on the platform of the fiery furnace, and they have this testimony, our God is able to deliver us. Right. That's pretty awesome. Right. What about their testimony the next day? 
<laughs> I mean, come on. We don't get to read that. But the next day, man, we were in there, and there was a force, and we didn't even burn. And the only thing that burned was our ropes. I mean, right. come on. Right. What a, I mean, if they had this testimony before the trial, imagine their testimony after the trial. I just think it's fascinating that yeah. they, they didn't like stand on the platform and say, you know, it's our rights. As cho- as the chosen people yeah. to protest this, this yeah. is a, this is unjust <laughs> and this is unfair. You know, you would think that Jesus yeah. would have showed up on the platform and said, mm-hmm. "Okay, I'm going to yeah. rescue from the fire." But yeah. it's not until they actually allow themselves to be thrown into the fire yeah. that they meet yeah. the Son of God. And, and it's it's pretty awesome because even in that place, their statement was, "Our God's able to deliver us." But even if, even he, if doesn't, he doesn't, mm. even if he doesn't. We ain't bowing. We're not yeah. going to bow. We're not going to bend. Come on, man. And then they didn't burn. So there you, you go. Know, you meet it. Sometimes you meet him yeah. in the fire. Uh, absolutely. And and yeah. I, I again, it's it's not that we have to go into the fire to to meet him, not to go in the valley of the shadow of death. But yeah. in both places, we find him there. And it's so often in those circumstances yeah. that it feels like he's so far away. And I think one of the things that we just read that I kind of love too is. If we come back to verse 5, if we lack wisdom, we can ask God. What's it say? He gives to you liberally. The word liberally means out of abundance because our God is a God of more than enough, right? But then he says, and without reproach. What's he mean without reproach? In my world, what that means is that he's not reminding us that we're unworthy, that we're not worthy. Because what he's saying is, I so want to lavish this on you. I want you to walk this out in such a way that the world will see what I'm really like. And honestly, that's the place for the for the church today to be able to walk this thing out, putting Jesus on display and letting the people see what God the Father is really like. Well, that's all we have time for today. But to sign up for the full series, go to jamesbiblestudy.com. That's jamesbiblestudy.com. And you can name your own price for the study, and I think it will transform your life. You can also write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Again, to sign up for the James Bible Study, go to jamesbiblestudy.com. This is Bill Vanderbush from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.